0: I was wondering if you, as you sit here this morning, whether you um, know what situational ethics are. If you've ever heard that term. Basically what it means is that truth should be flexible, rather than being absolute. You could say what is truth for you and may not be truth for me. That's what people are saying today. Truth has become subjective so as to take away the possibility of offending someone with the objective truth, and so we subject it. And while I can understand this outside the church, those who do not know our Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour, it makes my blood boil to see it inside the church, this situational ethics, and it starts with preaching the word. In fact, one of the weaknesses today I believe in the church is the fact that some preaching shies away from the objective truth of the Word of God. It substitutes something in there that will not do the job, and that becomes subjective truth. Sermons filled with endless stories about the preacher portray a very subjective view of the truth. You might get to know the preacher well, but you won't really learn who is the way, the truth, and the life. Subjective truth says there are many ways to get to heaven, many ways to be able to become born again. But Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth and I am the life. He's not the best way. He's the only way for everyone. He's not the best truth, the one that you want to pick. He is the only truth for everyone. And of course, he's not the best way of life. He is the the life, And I really believe that this breakdown in the teaching and preaching of the objective truth is the cause of many people's Christians' problems today. So many Christians have no idea, no clue why they're really going to church or living as they do. Many are doing and believing what seems right to them at the time, only, only to be shaken in their beliefs later on. When something happens in their life that doesn't fit into their system of subjective truth, their life falls apart. And once that foundation of the objective truth begins to shake, the structure of their life is sure to fall. And when this shaking begins in their theology, it won't matter how, many, how much Christian music that they've listened to, it won't matter how many buildings that they've built in, third world countries, it won't matter how many times they've walked down the aisle and said the sinner's prayer, if you are holding on to subjective truth, it will not hold you in the end. <coughs> you see, we Christians are not called to pick and choose truth based on what works. We're called to internalise the objective truth of the Scripture, which is our only infallible source for truth. Right? The Scripture is the only fallible, infallible source for that truth. And this book is the one that's never been subjective in its truth and it never should be and never will be, although some try to make it that way. There is no other book that tells it more like it is than this book. It helps us come to terms with reality. It helps us come to terms with the painful things that we go through. This book gets rid of subjective truth for the sake of objective truth. The Bible calls a spade a spade. If it's wrong, the Bible says it's wrong. If it's irresponsible, the Bible doesn't excuse it. If it's adultery... (coughs) Difficult though it may be to face, adultery it is If it's greed, scripture doesn't look the other way And I don't know of any more a realistic piece of writing Than what we've been going through in Solomon's journal Solomon has been painting life exactly as it is Life under the sun, warts and all And this is especially true when it comes to the subject of being a fool. This is a subject that Solomon has spent considerable time in and continues to do so today uh, as we open up the scriptures this morning. Please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 as we finish off this chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 12 is where we're starting this morning. And the words of the Lord said, Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, where the lips of a fool consume him. Would you like to be called a fool? I wonder if you've ever thought about it. Well, in the Old Testament... In the books of Proverbs and where we're in an Ecclesiastes, Solomon uses this term fifty one times. Why do you think Solomon is such a bottle on foolishness? Well, because he has been he is the wisest who has ever lived and ever will live. <coughs> For those of you in home group, we're going through one Kings, you might like to turn to One Kings chapter three with me. Just to remember and be reminded. Who Solomon is, and the reason that he can look at fools is because of his wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 3, I'm just going to read uh, the end of verse 5, or in verse 5 we have Solomon at Gibeon. And verse 5 says, And Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. What a great question. I'm wondering uh, if you've done that study, what uh, went round the room? What would you ask if, uh, if God asked you that very question? Well, is Solomon's answer we find in verse 9. Oh, I'll go to verse 8. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? This was God's answer. In verse 10, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies... But have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there be no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. <coughs> the only reason I took you there was to understand that as we look at this scripture this morning, Solomon knew what he was talking about. Forget subtle diplomacy in this particular section and probably the whole book. Solomon is going to tell us straight. No obscure symbolism, no mumbo-jumbo, just straight talk. And he's going to tell us and give us a picture of what a fool looks like. But let's begin by going to the core of the issue and discovering biblically what a fool is because occasionally we may toss around the word fool thinking of someone who is mischievous or a court jester or a practical joker but that's not the fool painted in the pictures of scripture psalm 14 verse 1 which i brought up last time presents the fool warts and all psalm 14:1 says the fool has said in his heart there is no god they are corrupt they have done abominable works there is no one who does good as david wrote this psalm he's talking of people who claim that god doesn't exist and we think of people that are in the in the limelight in the people in your eyes like richard dawkins who wrote a book called the god delusion a mother man you may well know as an australian philip adams he denies that there's a god and he lets you know Stephen Hawking will let you know that there is no God. I'm sure you have people at work who have no problem saying there is no God. But I want to take it a bit further this morning and say that there are also people who are Christians who in their lifestyle say there is no God. You might say, yes, I believe God exists. We go to church each Sunday, but we live without ever thinking about God. We're Christians on Sunday, but we live like the world on Monday to Saturday. (coughs) And we live, literally live, without thinking about God except on Sundays. And so for all practical purposes, we may as well be atheists as well if we do that. When the fool is mentioned in Scripture, they're the ones who say to themselves, whether Christian or non-Christian, I don't need to worry about God. There's no divine accountability. Nothing has ever happened to me. When I've sinned, I haven't had been zapped. All this business about God's high standard, His holy character, His desire to glorify me, I'm not so sure that even exists. I'll come and I'll worship on Sunday, but Monday to Saturday is my day. I really am free to live as my own God. And you know, most of the time you might not even say those words. But are you living as your own God during the week? And so when we as Christians are not committed to our God, then that's what we're saying. If we're not committed to Him fully, as we've sung this morning, you're saying to yourself, well, I'm still a part of God, I'm still a part in my life as my own God. And so when people pay no attention to God and his authority, they tend to see themselves as the ultimate moral authority. I can decide that for myself, I don't need the scriptures to tell me that. No one is going to tell me how to live. And so, when you read Psalm 14:1, a fool is someone who says there is no God. If you're living the life of leaving God out of the picture, then that's what you are. Proverbs 14:8 says, "The folly of fools is deceit." A fool, because he tells himself there is no God, I can decide things for myself. You're lying to yourself. The folly of fools is deceit and you lie with no guilty conscience because that's what you really believe. (coughs) And so forget subtle diplomacy this morning, forget subjective truth this morning. God tells it straight through Solomon that without God ruling your life, you're a fool. Are you a fool this morning is the question I want to give to you. But I want to do something this morning that from the beginning of any class in teaching how to preach, you never point the finger at everyone. You don't do that when you're preaching. You don't point the finger. But this morning I'm going to point the finger. I'm going to ask not to think about someone else. Do you ever have a tendency in saying, I wish such and such was here to hear this sermon? They really need it. We might do it subconsciously. And it might be true, I don't know. But I'm going to ask you just to think of yourself this morning. Just to think about your life, your picture, and what the Lord is going to show you through the Spirit of God, hopefully through the six ideas or the six parts of the portrait of a fool that Solomon is going to give us this morning. Because that's what verses 12 to 20 are doing. Solomon examines a picture or portrait of a fool by looking at the characteristics of a fool. So think about your own situation. Think about your life. Don't think about someone else's. Think about how do other people see me? That's the question I want you to be asking yourself through each of the six points this morning. Are you demonstrating some of these points? And here we have Solomon's picture of a fool. And the first picture of a fool is their speech. Verse 12 again. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. Now the phrase, the lips of a fool, or the phrase consume him, I should say, is one Hebrew word, which is used elsewhere, exactly in Job and Isaiah, exactly the same way, only Job and Isaiah has the word destroyed. The lips of a fool destroy him. The lips of a fool consume him. And that's pretty blunt, isn't it? Compared to a wise man's gracious words, a fool's words are going to eat him up. But that's the truth. Who is it who is it that suffers the most consequences in the life of a fool? Well, it's usually the fool himself. Yes, he may make others miserable at times, but he's the one who is destroyed. He's the one who is consumed. He he utter words that leads to his own suffering, his own demise. Look inwards. Does foolish words come from your lips? And then Solomon continues to write in verse 13, which is again a part of this, he takes us through a progress notoriously familiar to fools, and that is the beginning of his talking, that's the fool, the beginning of his talking is foolishness or folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. See, from verse 12, your words can either be gracious or you're being consumed. And the beginning of a foolish talk, or the beginning of his talk is foolish and the end of it is madness. The fool begins, he's talking on the wrong basis. He's talking foolishness to start with. And in the end he's talking, well, it's, it's wicked. It's evil. Have you ever tried to work with or give counsel to a fool? That is a person who says no, there is no God or who is living like there is no God. Well, rather than hearing counsel, the fool likes to dominate the conversation. He starts talking foolishness, so you can imagine what the end of his talk is going to be like. But look what's written in verse 14. Yet the fool multiplies words. Words, words, words and more words. Sometimes you just want to scream as you're talking to someone who has started on a foolish basis, ends up being talking wickedly and yet continues to talk the fool's tongue evidences telltale signs of foolishness and cannot be hidden or ignored a wise person once remarked in proverbs 18:2 which was obviously solomon a fool does not delight in understanding but only in revealing his own mind so when you're talking to someone are you just delighting or you're not uh, You don't want to understand, you just want to reveal what you want to say? You're not listening? How are your words perceived as you talk to people? As I said, Proverbs 18.2, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. What are your words like that's coming from your lips? Are they gracious words? Or are they just multiple, multiple words that start with foolishness and end up with wicked madness? So, our speech is very important to know whether we are foolish or not, or that part of the portrait of a fool is our speech. Solomon then goes on to describe another part of a fool's portrait in the middle of verse 14. A fool often makes confident predictions about how things are going to be. but Solomon says, no man knows what will happen and who can tell him what will come after him. A fool, a man who is a fool or a woman will boast about plans for the future. Forgetting about God, who alone knows the future, a fool will predict it. We can go to the New Testament here and listen to what the Lord tells us in James. You might like to talk to move to James chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read a few verses here, so it might be worth turning there and leaving your finger in, in Ecclesiastes. But remembering that Ecclesiastes says, No man knows what will happen and who can tell him what will come after him. Verse 13 of chapter 4 in James says, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapour that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. This is very objective truth. You cannot be subjective about that. A fool plans for tomorrow without bringing God into the picture. So when you plan, are you thinking about allowing God to Know what his will is for the future, even tomorrow. Then a fool plans for tomorrow without God. But then verse 16 of James says it's not just being a fool, but you're arrogant and you're boasting. Your boasting is evil. Very subjective, very straight to the point. And that's why I started this morning talking about the objective and subjective truth because how is that for objective truth in verse in those two passages you don't think about tomorrow you leave the lord out of it then you're a fool but not only is a fool oblivious in his ignorance of the future he or she often lacks common sense this is another part of the portrait found in verse 15 The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. What in the world does this mean? Well, as I said, there's no diplomacy in this passage, just straight talk. And Solomon says, the fool wears himself so much that he's inefficient and unproductive. He doesn't even know how to go to a city. Someone once said, put a fool in an elevator and he'll get lost. But Solomon chooses something obvious, such as a city, and says, go from here to that big city over there, but the fool's going to get lost. But what does it mean? Well, let's bring it into today's writing. Because I think if Solomon were writing today, he'd probably use another proverb that has crept into our language. He doesn't know enough to come in out of the rain. Have you ever used that? He doesn't know enough to come in out of the rain. In other words, the truth's there right in front of them but they don't know what to do with that truth. Don't misunderstand me here when you talk about getting lost in an elevator just for for that bit of fun. Solomon is not talking about or saying a fool is intellectually defective. Fools can be very bright. Foolishness has nothing to do with IQ. Nothing at all but it has everything to do with being stupid. Foolish talk is empty prattle. To quote Shakespeare's Macbeth, Shakespeare wrote, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. In verse 15, Solomon is referring to people who may know all sorts of things, but don't know the things that are necessary for life. Again, a fool may have a, a, a very high IQ, but as I said last time we were together, wisdom is not just having knowledge. Wisdom is not knowledge, wisdom is being able to apply that knowledge in everyday life. And so, again, I want to ask another question Are you a fool described by Solomon in this particular area? You don't know enough to come in out of the rain. You know the truth, you don't know what to do with it. Or you don't know, you don't want to do anything with it. I'll just stand here in the rain. The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. What is your speech like? Let's just recap. What is your speech like? Does it consume you? Does it destroy you? What's your confidence like in the future? Is it all about you or do you trust God in your future? Do you lack a bit of common sense and don't come in out of the rain when it's raining? Solomon then talks about another portrait or another part of the portrait of a fool and this time in leadership. First there's a statement of woe and then a statement of blessing in verses 16 and 17. Verse 16 says, Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Now we're back momentarily to poetic symbolism here. The king here is an immature ruler. He's a lad. He's like a child, merely a lad on the throne of an entire kingdom. Woe to you, O land, when you find yourself governed by a fool on the throne. What about Germany in the early 30s and 40s? That country with the best educated people on earth at the time had a fool who manipulated his way to the throne of power and almost led that country to their demise. Cuba in the 60s saw a fool take the throne of that country and Uganda in the 70s watched as a fool took the throne and led its country to virtual ruin. Then in the 90s we had another fool in Iraq Adolf Hitler, Fidel Castro, Idi Amin, Saddam Hussein, all illustrations of a lad on the throne of their country. To paraphrase Solomon, woe to you country if you find yourself ruled by such immaturity, by such rash and ruthless fools. And it's a good reminder to us all. We're in an election year this year. When we choose leaders... What are we looking for as we choose leaders? Are we looking for wise men and women? Or do we just choose anyone? They could be a fool. How do we choose our leaders when we vote? I haven't got an answer for you. That's your... uh, You can answer that. Woe to you, O Australia, whose government is immature and all they do is feast all day. But we do have a blessing... We have a blessing in verse 17. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. You see, the previous kings and preachers, you'll notice, ate in the morning. They ate all day, not for strength, but to get drunk. Don't worry about anything. Bring on the food. Let's have this terrific feast. But this king eats at the proper time for the proper reasons, For strength and not for drunkenness. Good rulers are disciplined. They enjoy good things in moderation so they can concentrate on governing well. Blessed are you, O Australia, whose government is of nobility. Something to think about this year as you vote. Solomon then gives us the fifth part of the portrait of a fool and that is he's lazy. A fool is lazy. Look at verse 18. Through indolence. Now I had to look up the word indolence. I, I, <laughs> forgive me. It's another word for laziness. Through indolence or laziness, the rafters sag and through slackness, the house leaks. Men prepare a, a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry And money is the answer to everything. Gee, if you took that out of context, you could really run with that, couldn't you? Money is the answer to everything. Look at the context, though, through insolence, through indolence, through being lazy. Solomon is talking of a fool who's so lazy and slack that his whole house is collapsing around him, even before he thinks to get up the ladder to patch his roof. And not only that, there's an endless routine of nothing but food and festivity. And then the fool is saying to themselves, Money is the answer to everything. There's wasted time, wasted priorities, careless lifestyle, there's a lack of discipline before, uh, toward unfinished tasks. Even though there are many things to take care of, foolishness abounds. Too slack. Too lazy to fix the home of your family. Is that what, is that describing you? Would you rather spend your time in festivities or continually working because you think money is the answer to everything? I have to work, I have to work 10 hours, 12 hours a day because money is the answer to everything. If you like that, then the objective word of God calls you a fool. Laziness is foolishness. And we have the last part of Solomon's picture of a fool, his indiscretion. Verse 20 Furthermore, in your bedchamber do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms do not curse a rich man, for a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. Solomon is observing that only a fool would say something, even in the privacy of their bedroom, that they never want repeated anywhere else. Why? Well, first of all, it's foolish and wrong to curse anyone anyway. But secondly, have you ever heard of the phrase, a little bird told me? Well, this is where it's come from. A little bird told me. Even when we think the person we're talking to will keep what we say in confidence, the little bird will be let loose. And a little bird told me, indiscretion. A fool is indiscreet. The wise person is discreet about what he says. He's very cautious who he says it to. The fool isn't. Even in his bedchamber, he'll curse the king Even in his sleeping rooms he will talk about people, but the bird of the heavens will carry the sound and the winged creature will make the matter known. Solomon's Reflections of the Portrait of a Foolish Man What is a fool? It is one who says there is no God or who lives like there is no God. Who says that I can do whatever I like, I'll come to church on Sunday, I'll be a good Christian, but don't ask me to be a Christian the rest of the time. That's what a fool is. And then he gave us the picture of a fool. Your speech, what's coming out of your mouth? Is it destroying you? Is it causing um, or starting with foolishness and ending up in wicked madness? Is it just words, 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 and you're only not wanting to understand, you just want to share what you've got on your heart, not listening to anyone else. Is your confidence in the future in the wrong place? Do you lack a little bit of common sense? What about your leadership qualities? Are you a lad? And being lazy, being indiscreet, all these things that He has pointed, Solomon has pointed as a picture of what it is, that that whole thing is a picture of what it is to be a fool. And if you have been thinking of yourself and not someone else, then it leads naturally to one question. What do I do if one of those is a picture of me? What do I do do if I'm living like a fool? What do I do if I've made foolish mistakes which are continuing to cause pain in my life. (coughs) Maybe you are a Christian and you know you're a Christian and you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, but you choose to treat God as if He doesn't exist. And so I encourage you to turn from that foolishness Get on the path to wisdom. Remember last time we talked about and went into more depth about the fact that you can soar like an eagle and you can live as God intended you to live. You can experience hope. You can experience joy. The Lord Jesus Christ came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. Or you can stay on the ground scratching around and scratching an existence as a prairie chicken. If you want that explained a bit more, you go back to the last sermon. But what are we going to do now? If one of these portraits of a, of a fool is, fits you to the T, what are we going to do? Well, the first thing you have to do is admit that you're a fool, according to Solomon's subjective truth. And then confessing to the Lord... And our Father is more than willing to forgive us and to help us to get back on the right track. Then we need to be in the Scriptures, in these objective truths. We need to know it like the back of our hand. We need to hear what God's objective perspective is on everything. Not listening to subjective views on the could be this or it could be that, but understanding what His objective perspective is. Psalm 19 says, God's word makes wise the simple. It has the power, God's word has the power to turn a fool into a wise person as well. Spending time in prayer, attending church regularly, having a good Christian friend that will hold you accountable, that is a friend enough to come up to you and say, those words aren't good coming out of your mouth. They're all helpful things if you want to get out of or avoid the trap of foolishness. So it's never too late. Never too late to turn to the Lord. Never too late to know that we've been living like a fool in one of those portraits and to do something about it. A man walked into a convenience store. He put a $20 bill on the counter and asked for change. When the cash register was opened, the man pulled out a gun and asked for all the cash in the register. And the man took that cash, leaving his $20 bill on the counter. So how much did he get? $15. Go figure. He went into the store with more than he walked out with. And we read this story and we think, what a fool. Yet all of us at time exchange God's wisdom for man's foolishness. And we don't think anything any of it. But we should. We should never exchange God's witness, uh, wisdom for the foolish men, foolishness that man might bring us. How do we respond to this? How do we respond to God's word? Well, I would suggest memorising James 1.5 because it comes into my life so often. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Please remember that one. Take it at its word. Take it at its its subjective word. That God will give you wisdom when you ask for it. Uh, Objective word. Thank you. Got some smiles over there. I said the wrong word. And then we can remember... Ecclesiastes, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Are your words gracious as they come out of your mouth? If you and I humbly come to the Lord and ask to exchange our foolishness for his wisdom, which he will give liberally to anyone who asks, he will grant it every time. And he will also change our life in the process. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your objective truth. We thank you for your word that leaves nothing to our imagination, who tells, tells us like it is, tells a spade a spade, and tells a fool what a fool is. Lord, help us to take these six points in our lives to maybe we are reacting wrongly to one of them Maybe we trust too much in ourselves for tomorrow and the future. Maybe we don't even ask about bringing you into the picture, Lord, then we're a fool. maybe we're lazy to the point of not even being able to fix our own houses, then, Lord, according to your word, we're a fool. Indiscretion, saying wrong things to people so that, the little bird would get out and tell others, Father, the indiscretion of saying it in the first place. Are we a fool? Lord, I pray that you would take these six points and place it in our hearts so that we may grow. We don't want to be foolish, Lord. We don't want to be called foolish. We don't want to be looked to be foolish in your eyes. And so help us, Lord, to overcome that and to read your word and to know what it is that you expect of us And that way we may live it each and every day. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.